the Mystical Underground and Rob McGregor present an audio production of Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings. Jones and the Staff of Kings is a novel I wrote in 2008 that was based on the script of a computer game by the same name. Earlier, I had written Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade based on the movie script, and after that I wrote six original Indiana Jones novels for Bantam Books and Lucasfilm, set in the 1920s at the beginning of Indy's career as an archaeologist. The original intent was to publish this novel with the release of the related game. That didn't happen, and I'm not going to go into the reasons. The point is that I've been repeatedly assured by Bantam Books that they have no interest in publishing the novel. So to that end, I see it now as a free fan novel, which I will read in a series of podcasts. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Four, Star of the Orient. A fraction of a second before the Gestapo agent finished counting to three, Indy leaped and latched onto the insulated electric cord dangling overhead. He swung forward as the cord snapped, darkening the shot and kicked. His foot struck the Nazi's hand just as he fired. Then he dropped to the floor, his ears ringing from the report of the gun. One of the agents groaned and collapsed. Nice shot. He hit one of his own men. Then he took advantage of the confusion, grabbed Susie's arm, and they scurried towards the door and raced down the street. There were times to face an enemy and times to flee. This one was definitely the latter. He was sure Voller was behind the inc this incident, that Voller was looking for the Jade Sphere. After all these years, he wanted to steal it from a dead man's hand, just maybe as payback. Kingston had expelled Voller from his program, citing his behavior during the Panama expedition. But maybe, Something more was involved. Voller had returned to Germany, finished his studies, and joined the Nazis. Now he is helping Hitler recover biblical artifacts, but what did that have to do with a Mayan artifact? Follow me, Susie said. They zigzagged their way through Chinatown for several minutes. Andy couldn't tell if Susie was leading him somewhere or just attempting to evade any pursuers. He didn't know which ones were worse, the Tumung thugs on the home territory or the Nazis far from home. Susie stopped near a courtyard surrounded by two-story buildings. Indy looked back, saw no one was following. He turned to Susie. Do you have any idea what happened to your grandfather? I think the Tong gang is holding him. Where? I don't know, but I know where you might find him. She pointed to a building across the courtyard that was illuminated by hanging red lanterns. The sign above the door said, Lao Chi Lounge. Go into that nightclub and ask for blind duck. I don't think the Tong really kidnapped Grandpa. The Tong and Grandpa work together sometimes, helping each other. I think they're protecting him from the Nazis. They definitely didn't like me asking about his whereabouts. You met the Tong? 
a couple of them, they came after me with knives. She looked surprised. On New Year's Day? Yeah, they didn't make an exception. He glanced at the nightclub, then back to Susie. Do you want me to walk you home before I go there? No, I know these streets. I live a couple of blocks from here. Indy crossed the street and walked into the nightclub. Dance music blared and a trio played jazz in the stylishly decorated club. Several tables were occupied, but in the dim lighting from the red lanterns, it was difficult to see faces. He decided to try a direct approach, assuming that Susie was right and that Tong was protecting Archie. He sidled up to the bar and handed the bartender the telegram. That's from Archie Tan. He needs my help. I was told to ask for Blind Duck that he would help me find Archie. The bartender stroked his mustache, handed the message back to him. Take it to the guys at the end of the bar. Thanks. Maybe he would get lucky and find Archie waiting for him, perhaps in a room upstairs. Two men were huddled over drinks as he approached them from behind. Gentlemen, I understand you know Archie Tan. The men turned on their stools and Indy gulped as he stared face to face with a dragon arm and silver tooth. Whoops, I guess we've already met. The big tattooed goon slid off his stool and grabbed Indy by the throat. You think you can walk in here and walk out alive? Think again. He slammed his fist into Indy's gut. Indy gasped and do doubled over, and Silvertooth poked his knife blade under Indy's eye and leaned into his face. Didn't we tell you to leave Archie Tan alone? I'm not a Nazi. I'm his friend. Indy's voice sounded choked. I don't care who you are, Silvertooth said. You're not going to look for Archie Tan. Dragonarm, still grasping Indy's throat, punched him again. Because the rats are going to eat your dead body for dinner tonight in the sewer. This wasn't going well, Indy thought, gasping for air. The Tong thugs were distracted by the bartender who shouted, but not at them. Get those damn pigeons out of here. Pigeon man, dragon arm, muttered in disgust. Indy glimpsed a gangly young Chinese man standing halfway up the staircase. He wore ragged clothes and a hat with a brim on the front and back. Two pigeons were perched on each shoulder. He said something that sounded like an order, and the birds took flight. Indy took advantage of the distraction to knee dragon arm in the groin. He bent over in pain and loosened his grip on Indy's throat. Silvertooth tackled Indy around the legs, knocking him to the floor, and dragon arm piled on. Indy struggled, twisted, and turned, but couldn't break free. The pigeon circled around the nightclub a couple of times, then swept down, attacking Dragon Man and Silvertooth, clawing and pecking at their faces. Dragon Arm bellowed, let go of Indy, who ducked low to avoid the pigeon assault. When he looked up, Pigeon Man motioned for him to climb the stairs. Indy hesitated, debating whether or not to bolt for the front door rather than go any deeper into the Tong nightclub. But he was curious about Pigeon Man and the guy might have saved his life. He raced for the stairs. Follow me, the man said, abandoning his birds and vaulting up the remaining stairs. They hurried down the halls, past several doors. Pigeon Man threw open the last door, revealing more stairs leading up to another door. The pigeons swept in behind Indy, fluttering around their heads as they climbed the stairs and exited onto the roof. This way now. You come quickly, Jones. So the guy knew his name, Indy thought. But there was no time to ask questions. Pigeon Man raced across the roof 
and leaped to the next building. Indy quickly measured the distance in his mind and knew he could make it, as long as he didn't trip in mid-stride. Hurry, hurry, don't think about it, Pitchin' Man called. Indy ran and leaped. Behind him, he heard the door of the, of the, of the roof of the nightclub slam open, heard the men cursing as the pigeon swept in for another attack. Indy kept running and followed Pigeon Man across the several roofs. He stopped thinking about the pigeon, the distance to the ground, and just focused on the jump. On the fourth one, Indy followed Pigeon Man's path and hurtled the gap. Belatedly, he saw the next building was another story taller, and Pigeon Man had leaped to a ledge. Indy crashed into the wall, then slid off the ledge, clinging to it with one forearm, then the other. Pigeon Man reached down, helped him up. As they sidled along the ledge toward the rear of the building, Indy demanded answers. Who are you, anyhow? No time for introductions. We keep going. We, uh, have time now, Indy insisted. Who are you? And don't say Pigeon Man. That's what people call me, because I live on the roofs and train pigeons. To attack people? Some carry messages for me, others will peck your eyes out. If you make trouble, like those Tong guys. How did you know my name? Indy asked as they reached the corner of the building and scrambled down the fire escape. My cousin Susie, I was following you two from the roofs. After you left her, she asked me to help you. So you know Archie? Of course, he's my grandfather too. Indy dropped the last few feet to the ground next to Pigeon Man. Do you know where he is? I do know. I followed the tongue tonight and saw where they took him. Now they're getting somewhere. Can you show me? Of course, come on. Neither of them spoke as they wound their way through a series of back alleys. They moved swiftly past shops, most of them closed. The alleys seemed to get darker, tighter, more isolated. Indy hurried to keep up to the rapid pace of Pigeon Man. They walked through a haze of steam rising from a manhole cover. They reached a gate at the end of an alley. It creaked as Pigeon Man pulled it open, and they crept into a, a dingy junkyard. Indy d didn't like the feeling of the place. His hand slid to his hip, and he fingered the whip, realizing that he might be walking into another life-threatening situation. He moved between piles of twisted metal, junk cars, and discarded furniture. Finally, Pigeon Man pointed to a trapdoor, partially open amid the rubble. Archie is down there. Are you sure? I know this place. I've come here with Archie. But now I see the Tong here for several days. I follow and listen. Archie is here, guarded by the Tong. What's down there? Pigeon Man laughed. Go look. Not what you expect to see underground. Indy lifted the trap door, peered into the pitch black darkness that smelled of dust and age. It's kind of dark in there. The lanterns are at the bottom of the stairs, Pigeon Man said. Indy lit a match, but still couldn't see anything other than a ladder. Are you coming with me? No answer. He looked around, but there was no sign of the Pigeon Man had flown the coop. He climbed down the ladder, paused on a meadow platform about 10 feet above the ground. As his eyes adjusted to the darkness, he found himself in an enormous cavern. In the center of it was the last thing he expected to see. Incredibly, an old flipper ship, dimly illuminated by lanterns, was buried beneath the city. He descended the stairs to the floor of the cavern, found a lantern, lit it, 
and started towards the ship. He froze as he heard the click, like the sound of a gun that caught. Hold it right there, a slender Chinese man with white streaked hair and wire-framed glasses stepped forward into the light. He aimed a pearl-handled 45 at Indy. Two larger men, no doubt thugs, hung back several feet. Gestapo? Indy lifted the lantern. Me? Never. Indiana Jones, archaeologist, friend of Archie Tan. The man gazed at him through glasses as thick as the bottoms of a Coke bottle. I've heard your name, Dr. Jones. A man of adventure and intrigue. A professor, really. He laughed. Of course, and I'm a simple nightclub owner. Yeah, who happens to be standing in a cavern under a junkyard, and he thought. He realized he was talking to the Tong boss, the man who was holding Archie. Amazingly, so far no one had taken a swing at him or swiped a knife blade his way. Didn't catch your name. Wu Ming. But you can call me Blind Duck. And the sly smile. And he suspected that both names were false. Blind Duck shook his hand with a grip that reminded Indy of the claws of a large predator bird. Your reputation is well known, Dr. Jones, but I need proof that you are who you say. Give me the code. Ah, uh, the code. Uh, what code? The Tong boss crossed his arms, waited. Archie hadn't given him any code. Neither had Susie. He took a guess. Folk? Blind Duck scowled. Indy flashed screen. Just kidding. He remembered the brief note he'd found taped to the ceiling fan in Archie's ransack. Shop. Star of the Orient. He couldn't tell if he'd guessed right. Blind Duck's expression remained appropriately inscrutable. You go to the ship now, Dr. Jones. No time to waste. Where's Archie? He's waiting for you, Dr. Jones. Blind Duck gestured towards the ship. What's Archie doing there? It's his hiding place where we protect him from the Nazis. If they catch him, they'll torture and kill him to find an important artifact, a jade sphere. You know about it? Uh, yeah, I've heard of it. I'm going to tell you the same thing I told Archie. When you leave the ship, you bring me the jade sphere, Dr. Jones. We can protect it much better than Archie can. The Nazis will never find it. Why don't you go get it yourself? There's one problem. Blind Duck said. Archie Booby trapped the ship. We're trying to help him, but he's making it difficult for himself. But maybe he'll help you get around the traps. That is, if he'll talk to you. Why wouldn't he? We haven't seen or heard a word from him for three days. Five, the Jade Sphere. Indy was instantly suspicious. He figured Blind Duck was telling him half-truths. The Tong gang might be protecting Archie, but he guessed they had their own interest at heart. The Jade Sphere no doubt had value on the black market, especially if sold to the Nazis. But Blind Duck wasn't willing to sacrifice his own people in order to find it. Send Archie's old buddy down there instead. Let him take the chances. Unfortunately, Indy's choice, choices at the moment were limited. Climb back up and face a bullet from Blind Duck or explore the ship. As he started across the cavern, he heard angry shouts and a screech from above. Susie's voice rang out as a tong thug dragged her through the trap door and down the ladder to the platform. Let me go, she screamed. 
Stop twisting my arm, you bastard. I found her snooping around, asking questions about her grandfather, the thug called out to Blind Duck. She's the one who led him to the lounge, the thug pointed down at Indy. Then she can go with him, the tong boss answered. Gladly, Susie shouted, broke away and ran down the steps and over to Indy. I don't need any assistance, Indy countered. I was just trying to help, tears welled in her eyes. Please, Indy, let me go with you. Indy looked grim. He didn't need any more complications. Come on, but you're not going aboard the ship. No way. They quickly headed toward the vessel. You should be in bed sleeping, Indy reprimanded. But I found out stuff you need to know. Indy kept his gaze on the ship. Like what? The tongue is double-crossing Grandpa. They want whatever it is that's down here. Thanks. Only thing is, I already, I already figured that out. Sorry, Grandpa had to work with them. He's been getting things from this ship for years, he told me. Indy stopped near the port ball. Interesting, a clipper ship from the Gold Rush era. He stepped closer and read the faded name on the hull. Ah, Star of the Orient. That makes sense. He approached a ladder that led to the deck, then turned to Susie. Wait here for me. You better move the ladder or you might fall through the deck and onto some rusty spikes. Punji sticks, a classic booby trap, he thought. How do you know about that? I was down here with Grandpa when he was setting it up. He told me about some of the other traps, too. Really? Well, in that case, I guess you can come along. And he carried the ladder toward the center of the ship. He didn't happen to tell you where he hid the Jade Sphere, did he? He didn't want me to know. He climbed to the deck, noticing the steep slant from bow to stern. He carefully tested the planks before moving ahead. In spite of the lantern, he could only see a few feet in front of him. Stay behind me, he told Susie. He spotted another lantern hanging on a line, reached for it, then froze. He looked up and saw a large burlap sack hanging ten feet overhead. He stepped back, found a pole with a hook on the end, and carefully lifted the lantern. The line shot up, and the sack fell with a heavy thud right where he'd been standing. It split open, spilling sand. He reeled in the lantern, inspected it before lighting it, then handed it to Susie. That would have hurt. Why didn't you warn me? Didn't know about that one, she said with a shrug. He peered across the dimly lit deck, then called out, Hey, Archie, can you hear me? It's Indiana Jones. I got your message. I'm with Susie, your granddaughter. Where are you? No answer. With cautious steps, Indy moved toward the, a hatchway that led down to the lower decks. He leaned over to lift it, paused, glanced back at Susie. Watch out for that rope next to you, she said. Grandpa was setting some kind of booby trap over there. Indy leaned over, studied the coil of rope, and noticed a thin steel cable beneath it. The cable was attached to the side of the elevated hatchway and extended across the deck to a stack of barrels. He stood up, brushed his hands. That was close. If I'd lifted the hatch, the cable would free those barrels and they'd roll right over us. Grandpa said he filled them with water. 
Archie is very clever. I just hope he's not too clever. Indy moved to the side and inadvertently stepped on the coil of rope. His foot was immediately entangled. The rope snagged, snapped up, and he was lifted 20 feet in the air where he dangled upside down in the rigging. I told you to watch out for the rope, Susie yelled. Indy swayed slowly back and forth, hanging by his ankle, and tried to figure out how he was going to get out of this predicament. He noticed another line in the rigging that was anchored to the deck. He tried to swing over to it. He gradually picked up momentum and reached out for the line, but his fingers missed each time by several inches. Finally, he loosened his whip and snagged the other line. He pulled himself over to it, then worked his ankle free and lowered his legs before sliding down the line. Thanks for the warning. If the Tog boss hadn't threatened to kill him, he would be ready, more than ready, to abandon ship. Then again, he remembered his vow to Charles Kingston. He'd promised to help Archie when the time came, and it had definitely arrived. Although Kingston never specified it, Indy had always suspected that protection of the Jade Sphere was at the heart of the matter. He moved cautiously across the deck, Susie close behind him, watching every step until he reached a ragged-edged hole. A heavy chain wrapped about the foremast hung down through the hole. It looked like another trap, but at this point, everything was suspect. He studied the chain, tested it. He jerked harder, looked around, hoping that he didn't unleash some new assault. When nothing happened, he lowered the pole he'd used to snare the lantern and tapped on the lower deck. Satisfied, he climbed down the chain and dropped into an interior officer. Susie passed him the lantern. Stay there while I look around. Call me if you see anyone coming toward the ship. He moved through several cabins, opening ca cabinets and closets, periodically calling out to Archie. He climbed down to another deck where ropes and cables and an anchor and chain were stored. He peered down into the dark hole. Something valuable must have been stored here and buried with the ship, Indy thought. Otherwise, Archie wouldn't have gone to all the trouble of digging out the cavern. He imagined how many laborers had hauled out bucket after bucket of dirt and whatever else was buried around the ship. Archie! He climbed into the hold, hoping he wouldn't find Archie's body. Rats scattered with easy, kicked over an empty box. Cockroaches fell from the beams overhead onto his shoulders and hat. He shook off the vermin and scrambled back up to the cabins. Hands on his hips, he looked around. He was relieved that he didn't find Archie. He was starting to wonder if Blind Duck had lied about Archie being on the ship, but he was fairly certain that Jade Sphere was here. Blind Duck wasn't lying about that. Any idea? An idea came to mind. Aha, of course. He climbed out of the hole and headed to the companionway that led to the booby-trapped hatch, shimmied up the ladder, but didn't touch the hatch. If he pushed on it, the barrels would be released and Susie would get crushed. He remembered that the hatch was elevated above the deck, but the bottom he could see was level with the deck. That meant there was a concealed 
compartment within the hatch. He ran his fingers lightly over the wooden surface and found a discreetly hidden lever disguised as molding. He started to move it to one side but hesitated. It could be another trap. Imagine Archie Tan filling the hatch with snakes that would fall on him, slither down inside his shirt, his spine, and into his pants. He shuddered at the thought, but rationalized that the snakes would be dead or comatose by now. Andy, where are you? Susie called. Over here, below the hatch. Any sign of Grandpa? Not yet. She sounded closer now, right above him. Be careful. He moved his hands along the hatch and found a second disguised lever. Why two of them, he wondered. Then he saw a fine wire leading from the hatch to an interior wall. One of the levers opened the hatch. The other triggered another trap. Good going, Archie. Back down the ladder he went. He picked up the pole, pressed the hook against one of the levers, pushed, and triggered a three-foot-long spring-loaded blade that shot out from a hidden opening in the wall. It would have gone right through his neck. With great caution, he moved the other level, lever with the pole. This time an interior section of the base of the hatch slid a couple of inches to one side, no booby traps. He climbed back up the ladder, reached around the blade and opened the bottom of the hatch. At first, it looked hollow and empty. Then he spotted a wooden box built into the interior wall of the hatch. He reached up and using a knife, pried open the cover of the box. He reached inside and found a leather drawstring bag containing a spherical object. He carefully lifted the bag out, climbed back down to the mid-deck. He opened the sack and in the light of the lantern saw a deep green sphere with symbols etched into its surface. Got it, he called up to Susie. But there was something else in the bag. He reached inside and pulled out a piece of paper. Congratulations, Indy. I hope it's you reading this. You probably got Tong waiting for you to come out with the sphere. Stay low on the deck. Go to the starboard side. Crawl into the lifeboat. There's a lever you can use to lower the boat. They'll be watching the other side by the ladder. Run to the corner away from the stairs. Look for a small hole in the wall. That's your way out. Good luck. Thanks, Archie, wherever you are. He followed the note into his pocket and hurried along the lower deck until he reached the hanging chain. He was about to climb it when Susie suddenly scrambled down it and dropped next to him. The tongue are on deck, she whispered urgently. I think they heard you say you got it. Jones, you come now. We'll take you to Archie Tan. He's waiting for you, said Blind Duck. Certain it was a ruse. He passed the sphere to Susie, touched a finger to his lip, then climbed the chain. The Tong boss, gun in hand, stood near the hatch, his back to Indy. Several thugs were positioned across the deck waiting. He ducked his head, crawled back down, and took the sphere. Come on. Indy led the way back to the companionway and started up the ladder. I'm coming, he yelled. He heard shouts in Chinese, footfalls as the thugs gathered around. Susie tugged on his arm. He told them to get the artifact first, then kill you. 
Smart plan, but I got a better one. He went up another step, pounded on the bottom of the hatch. Help me open the hatch, it's stuck. Blind Duck ordered his men to help. The hatch lifted a few inches, then flipped all the way up, and the thugs stared down at him, two of them aiming revolvers. A rumbling erupted. They turned, stared, then shouted in panic, and belatedly scrambled away as a couple of dozen thundering water-filled barrels bore down on them. When the rumbling stopped, he motioned for Susie to follow him. He stuck his head up, then ducked as a tardy barrel rolled past over the hatch. This one was red while the others were black, and something was leaking from it, not water, but gasoline. It rolled over one of the abandoned lanterns, and instantly a trail of fire raced toward the barrel. Indy clambered out, Susie behind him, and they darted across the deck to the starboard side, as Archie had suggested. He looked back to see the fire quickly spreading, flames leaping, burning, crackling, racing. The Tong thugs scrambled to help their injured buddies. Indy and Susie made it into the lifeboat before the gasoline barrel exploded. Plumes of flame and greasy smoke billowed toward the cavern roof. Metal shards and burning scraps pelted the deck and Indian Susie ducked under the canvas covering. Grandpa, Susie shouted, and Indy spun around. Archie, his face covered with dirt and soot, his wrinkled clothes a testament of his time in hiding, sat up in the boat. Archie, so this is where you've been hiding. Hello, Indy, no? I've got a better hiding place. We can go there now. Pull that lever by your head. He hugged his granddaughter and they exchanged a few words in Chinese. Indy lifted the canvas, found the lever, tugged and the boat slowly descended to the floor of the cavern. They all climbed out. Indy, we go to the sewer now. I showed you where I was hiding, Archie said. As far as Indy could tell, the Tong thugs were disabled or preoccupied with saving the wounded from the fire. Let's just go through the junkyard. I don't really need a tour of the sewer at this point. As soon as they started up the stairs, two more Tong appeared. One of them pointed, bellowed in Chinese, and clambered down the steps. Indy hesitated, reached for his whip when he when he didn't see any guns in their hands. I think I can handle these guys. Another half dozen thugs followed, shouting and pointing their guns, every one of them armed. Then again, uh, let's try your way, Archie. Indy World grabbed Susie's arm and ran back to Archie. If you would have listened to me, we would be safe now, Archie scolded. Yeah, well, I'm a little hard-headed sometimes, Indy called over his shoulder. They ran past the burning ship to the far corner of the tavern, but Indy didn't see any way out. Over here, Susie squatted next to a narrow hole, barely visible in the shadows. That's it, Indy asked. It's very tight, but we can, we can fit, you see, Archie said. Maybe if your skin and bones, Archie said as he dropped his hands to his hands and knees, Behind him, one of the thugs shouted as he spotted them. Indy started to follow Susie, who had disappeared down the hole, but Archie slipped in front of him. Yeah, you go next, Indy said, glancing worriedly over his shoulder, but hurry, man, hurry. Finally, he crawled into the hole, holding the leather bag with the sphere tightly against his chest. 
The walls rubbed against his shoulders. The ground angled upward. If it got any tighter, he was in trouble, but he forced himself to keep inching ahead through the thick, dank darkness. He heard muted cries from the Tong gang. Then a voice that sounded as if it came from right behind him. Archie, uh, can you go any faster? They're coming after us. I am going as fast as I can. Archie kicked dirt onto Indy as he picked up his pace. Indy didn't care. He just wanted to get out of this hole as fast as possible. The walls seemed to be closing in on him. The roof sloped. He could barely breathe. He pushed the leather bag ahead and moved it uh, in an undulating fashion, pulling himself upward. His face was covered with sweat and dirt when he finally popped through the narrow passage and into a larger cavity filled with gray light. Smelly water puddled under his forearms and hands as he extracted himself from the hole and stood up. The sewer, Archie said. Yeah, I can smell it, Nancy. And Indy answered. I hear them coming, Susie said, leaning over the hole and still holding onto the lantern he'd given her. Indy grinned. Let them. He heard the first one huffing as he reached the sewer entrance. The thug clawed his way up, gun in hand, but Indy was ready for him. Kicked the gun away, then delivered a second kick to the thug's jaw. He slipped back into the hole unconscious. Sorry about that, but you shouldn't point guns at people. Indy swept up the snub-nosed six-shooter, stuck it in his jacket. Now the other gangsters, trapped below their unconscious buddy, shouted and cursed and futilely pushed at the body, blocking their way. Indy and Susie rushed away, leaving the tongue to their own devices. As they trudged through the sewer toward a distant gray light, Indy wondered if the excitement was over for the night. Probably not, he decided. He should have known that answering Archie Tan's distress call wasn't going to be an easy task. Even though he'd succeeded in recovering the Jade Sphere, he still needed to avoid the Tong gang and the Nazis. He also needed to protect Archie, who could easily be killed in revenge by either outfit. He slowed, listening hard. He heard a chattering sound close by his head. It sounded alive. He stopped, lit a match, and saw a pack of rats scurrying along a shoulder-high ledge. One of them, nearly the size of a cat, leaped onto his shoulder. He grabbed it by the tail and hurled it into the pack. Several more leaped at him. Run, he shouted, but Susie and Archie had already slipped past him and raced ahead into the dim gray light through the fetid stink, water splashing as they ran. And he shook off the screeching rats, kicked others to the side, and lurched after his friends. They rushed ahead, turned a corner, and stopped. Archie pointed to a steel ladder attached to the wall and a manhole cover above it. This is where I was hiding, not in the boat, like they thought, Archie said. Looks good to me, uh, especially after those rats. Indy vaulted up the ladder, pushed on it with one hand, held the leather bag with the other. With an effort, he slid the cover open and carefully raised his head. He expected to see a street or alley in Chinatown. Instead, it looked like he was crawling into a darkened storage closet cluttered with boxes. A door stood partially open and he pushed through it and into a factory. 
The place looked abandoned, with dust covering the machinery and a conveyor belt. Archie then Susie appeared next to him. Susie held up a lantern. I know where we are. It's the fireworks factory. Close for the New Year, Indy said. Close for a long time, Archie responded. Indy quickly realized the door and the windows were boarded up. How do we get out, Archie? I show you. He started to follow Archie toward the front when Indy heard voices coming from the storage closet. Turn off the lantern, Indy hissed, and they ducked behind the conveyor belt. Too late, Jones. We already saw your light. He recognized Blind Duck's voice and realized the Tong Chief had more than one life. Give me the chain sphere right now, and I'll let you go. That's a promise. Blind Duck called out, moving into the factory with several of his cohorts. I don't think I trust your promises, Indy shouted back. You don't seem to keep them. A hail of both bullets met his response. Indy and Susie ran alongside the conveyor belt, staying low, bodies hunched over, shoes squeaking. Indy turned, returned the fire, but the gun jammed after two shots. Bullets zipped by their heads, pinging off the walls. Their situation was desperate, and Indy was about to give up in order to save Susie when fireworks started exploding behind them. A rocket whistled through the air and struck another container of fireworks, setting it off. Within seconds, a full-scale pyrotechnic battle was underway as, a, as smaller fireworks set off larger ones, launching rockets here and there, arms protecting their heads. The thugs shouted and raced for cover but most of the boxes contained fireworks that soon started exploding in their faces. Back out of the sewer, Archie said. Too dangerous here. Oh, really? Indy thought as a rocket shot inches over his head. They crawled forward under the fireworks, moving closer and closer to the storage closet. They reached the door to find Blind Duck waiting for them. He aimed his gun at Indy's chest. Now you die. Wait. Don't you want to know where I hid the Jade Sphere? You never guess where I put it. He looked down at Indy's hands, and just then, Indy swung the leather bag containing the sphere into his face. Blind Duck stumbled back and fell over Susie, who had dropped on her hands and knees behind him. Quick, let's get out of here, Indy said. Susie and Archie climbed down the ladder to the sewer, and just as Indy ducked his head below the floor, a rocket slammed into the storage closet, exploding, setting off more fireworks and illuminating the sewer in a rainbow of colors. Let's see how he does after that one. They hurried down the sewer, and after a couple of minutes, reached another ladder leading up to the manhole. Let's try this one. Gotta be better than that last one. Let me go first this time, Archie said. Indy didn't see any reason he shouldn't. Be my guest. Archie climbed out, and Indy started to follow when Susie suddenly shouted for help. Indy handed the leather satchel up to Archie and dropped back into the tunnel. One of the Tong gang, a wild expression on his face, his hair and clothes singed, rushed at him with a club. Indy pushed Susie to the ground and then flipped the attacker over his shoulder, but the thug surprisingly landed on his feet and came at Indy again. He swung the club at his head. Indy ducked and grabbed his arm and flung him onto his back. He grabbed for the club, but and for moments they struggled over it, twisting and turning, grunting and heaving and breathing hard. 
This Tom thug was strong and he thought, he somehow mustered the strength and resolved to yank hard on the club, then reversed the pressure and slammed it against the thug's jaw. The thug released the club, stumbled back and collapsed. Indy pointed at the fallen gang member. You stay here, don't move, or I'll crush your skull like a walnut shell. He motioned for Susie to climb the ladder while he kept an eye on his tongue opponent sprawled in the dirt. Indy, where's Archie? He's not up here. Oh, great. The thug sat up, lunged for Indy's legs, but Indy was ready and booted him in the chest, knocking him back down. I said, stay there. He quickly climbed up through the manhole and saw that he was near the entrance to Chinatown. Drunken revelers left over from the celebration pointed and backed away. He scanned the thinning crowd. No sign of Archie. Okay, where is he? He realized it was his own fault. He should have climbed out first and let Archie hand him the leather bag instead of the other way around. But then again, the thug who attacked him in the tunnel might easily have killed Archie and Susie while he waited for them. Hey, Susie. A tall, slender teenage boy called out to her. What are you doing in the sewer with that man? Setting off fireworks with him and my grandpa, Susie quipped. I heard them. I saw your grandpa with some men. I think they were speaking German. Where? Indian Susie spoke simultaneously. There they are now, getting on that cable car. Six, the Staff of Moses. Indy caught a glimpse of Archie Tan half a block away. Then he disappeared inside the cable car. Several trench coats followed closely behind. Indy started toward the car, but realized it was moving. Picking up speed, he rushed towards it, leaped, and grabbed onto the back railing. He hung on, riding on the outside of the car. Susie chased after him, but couldn't catch up. Be careful, Indy, she shouted, waving her hands. Two of the trench coats stepped out on the rear platform and conversed in German. More Gestapo, he thought. One of the men said he saw someone jumping onto the car, but the other one didn't believe it and told him he was imagining things. Niemann ist aus hier. No one is out here. Wanna bet? Indy popped up and slugged the Nazi, knocking him back into the car. His partner lunged. Indy ducked, grabbed him by the collar, and yanked him over the railing. With a yelp, he tumbled to the street. Indy leaped over the rail. Shouts fill, filling the car behind him. Scrambled onto the roof and hurried forward. He hoped the Nazis would go out the rear and he could enter through the front, find Archie, grab the sphere, and escape. But his pounding feet alerted the foes, and just before he reached the front of the car, a couple of Gestapo agents bounded onto the roof. He quickly lowered himself over the side and swung through the front door. Hello, Jonesy. Thanks for dropping in. A tall, muscular blonde smiled, then slammed his fist into Indy's jaw. Long time no see, Magnus, Indy replied, stars exploding inside his head, then returned the favor, a left to the German's cheek. I thought you would be busy with your ex exhibition this evening. Never too busy when there's another artifact to collect. Now, get off this car before I throw you off. You two sit down, or I'm throwing both of you off, growled the trolley driver. Magnus Bowler turned, jerked the man from his seat, knocked him out with a single blow. Indy took advantage of the distraction, scanned the seats, 
spotted Archie, then leaped back onto the roof. He started to reach for his whip, but one of Voller's men tackled him. They rolled over, dangerously close to the edge of the roof. Indy kicked the man away, and another Gestapo agent tripped over him. He leaped to his feet, but a third Nazi slammed a fist into his gut. Indy bent over, then landed an uppercut to the man's jaw. He stumbled back and screaming, plunged over the side of the speeding cable car. Waller climbed onto the roof, a revolver in his hand, but stumbled as the cable car hurtled downhill towards the bay, driverless, out of control, moving too fast. One of his men grabbed Indy by the ankle, yanking his feet out from under him. He crashed to the roof. Bowler's shot whistled, whist whistling over his head. Time to go, Indy kicked free of the Gestapo agent, then swung his legs through an open window and into the car. Archie Tan was crumbled in a seat, gagged, hands tied to his feet. For the first time since he'd encountered him in the lifeboat, Indy got a good look at Archie. He wore a rumpled, dirt-smeared white suit, a crumpled Panama hat, and an eye patch. That's no way to travel, Archie. Indy pulled out a knife and quickly cut through the ropes, then tore the gag away. Indy, I'm sorry. They got me. Where's the jade sphere? They took it from me. But it's here somewhere. The cable car careened wildly downhill, heading for disaster. Something fell from overhead, the overhead rack, right into Archie's lap. Here it is. I'll take it. Now, let's get out of here before we crash. They raced to the rear platform. Indy grabbed Archie's arm. Ready? For what? To jump. No! Yes, it's time. We're close. Go going too fast. No choice, Archie. Indy spotted two men lugging a mattress uphill along the sidewalk. He grabbed Archie's arm and they jumped and landed squarely on the mattress, knocking it out of the grasp of the two men. The mattress skidded down the sidewalk, careened into the tree, the tree and catapulted Indy and Archie into a hedge. Indy helped Archie to his feet. That wasn't so bad. Hey, where did it go? Where is it? He spotted the leather sack rolling down the sidewalk and hurried after it. The sphere hit a stone and the leather bag bounded right into his hand, the hands of Magnus Voler, who looked as if he'd landed on a pile of garbage. Voler whipped up his gun and Indy knew his former fellow student and competitor wasn't about to show mercy. The trigger clipped, empty. Too bad, too bad, Magnus. Indy reached into his jacket and pulled out the snub-nosed revolver he'd recovered from the sewer, the one that jammed on him in the fireworks factory. You want to try this one? No, I don't think so. No, hand it over. You won't shoot me in cold blood, Voller sneered. You're right about that. Before Voller would, could react, Indy slammed the butt of the gun against his skull. A hulking German tottered over and Indy snagged the leather bag from his grasp. You got it, Indy, Archie whooped with delight and triumph. Congratulations. Now the venture can begin. What? It hasn't started? We've got to go to the airport right away. Archie hailed a taxi, but it kept going. We've got to get to Panama. Why? Because that's what Professor Kingston would want. I've held off for years, but now it's time. A Dodge pickup truck pulled up to the side of the street. Grandpa, Indy, am I too late? Just a bit, Indy said. Susie, what are you doing in my truck? 
trying to save you. Well, we do need a ride. They scrambled into the pickup and Archie directed her to the airport. Indy glanced back and saw Volder sitting up, rubbing his head. Then they took a sharp turn, too fast, and the truck nearly lifted up on two wheels. How long have you been driving, Susie? I just started. Never would have guessed. All part of the adventure, Indy. Archie laughed and slapped Indy on the back. Indy was beginning to have second thoughts about an adventure with Archie. I don't know about Panama, Archie. I really should get back to the college. Oh, your students will understand. You are following in the footsteps of the great Professor Kingston. You can send a telegram to your office at the airport. Emergency field work. My students might understand, but I don't know about my department head. He tends to be a bit envious of my field work. Just tell him it's your time to go after the powerful biblical artifact that Professor Kingston died looking for, and it must be kept out of the hands of the Nazis. The staff of Moses? The very one. Indy felt the curving shape of the sphere through the leather pouch. But what's that got to do with this jade sphere? Professor Kingston entrusted it to me. Every couple of years, he would visit and take the sphere to Central America. I never knew what he did with it until his last trip when he left me a letter explaining how I was supposed to contact you in the event of his death or disappearance. You took your time. He's been gone six years. Archie tugged on the lapels of his tattered coat. Sorry, I was busy. Besides, I thought if I gave it to you, that would really mean he was dead. I kept hoping he would turn up one day. But when that Nazi brute came after the Jade Sphere, I knew it was time. What am I supposed to do with it? Play Mayan basketball? You take it to the Temple of the Cosmos. Kingston gave me directions in his letter along with maps and charts. There's also a letter for you. It's in the locker at the airport. I also added emergency supplies and cash. Very convenient, and he said apparently Archie had expected trouble eventually and prepared for it. As they motored on, Archie directed Susie to turn here and there and tried to correct her driving. Indy mulled over everything he'd just been told. He'd already wondered why Kingston had put off revealing the existence of the hidden pyramid in the Jade Sphere. In the archaeological world, its existence was rumored, but never verified. Indy, for his part, had abided by the professor's wishes, even after his disappearance. But how is a Mayan pyramid connected to an artifact dating back to ancient Egypt and the Old Testament? The Staff of Moses, as he recalled, was a miraculous stick that could draw water from a rock or divide the Red Sea into two halves. Somehow, the Jade Sphere held the answer, he thought. When they arrived at the airport, Archie sent Susie on her way in spite of her protests. He and Indy went inside the airport to a row of metal lockers where Archie recovered a backpack. Then he handed Indy an envelope and proceeded to the ticket counter. Indy opened the letter noting it was dated June 9, 1933, more than six years ago. Dear Indy, if you found this letter, it means that I did not succeed in my attempt to locate the Staff of Moses. It means that something happened to me and I am no longer capable of contacting you in person. I am writing to beseech you to take up the quest to follow my trail and continue the search for this sacred artifact.
By now, my loyal friend, Archie Tan, has given you the Jade Sphere, which he has kept hidden from me. I've asked him to accompany you to Central America and make arrangements for you to travel into the Darien jungle for a return visit to the Temple of the Cosmos. When you get there and enter the planetarium within the pyramid, you find out why I have kept the existence of this fabulous pyramid a secret. Remember, you must have the Jade Sphere with you or your trip will be for naught. Keep in mind that your journey to Panama is only the first step in locating the Staff of Moses. For security reasons, I am unable to provide more information in this letter. Rather, you must pursue my clues each step of the way. In essence, you must prove your worthiness or you will never find the Staff of Moses. At the very least, the staff is a powerful symbol of righteousness that must not fall into the wrong hands. However, I am convinced that is much more than that. I'm sorry for the inconvenience, Indy, but this matter is of utter importance. You are now embarking on a highly secretive mission. If you fail and the staff ends up in the hands of dark forces, the consequences for the future of the world will be most grim. I hope this letter never reaches you, but in the event that it does, good luck. Your friend and colleague, Charles Kingston. He folded the letter and put it away as Archie returned. We're in luck, Indy. We take flight to Los Angeles in one hour. We lay over three hours, and at sunrise, we fly to Panama. Blurry-eyed, no doubt. Yes, but alive. We sleep on the plane. His voice faded as he stared over Indy's shoulder. Don't look behind you. We need to go directly to the gate and board quickly as possible. Nazis? Archie shook his head as they started walking. A spy for the Tong Gang. You disappointed them. Their leader wanted to steal the Jade Sphere and sell it to the Nazis. Blind duck? I met him. Don't care for him. I'm funny that way about anyone who points a gun at me. We didn't have much business in the past. He was honorable most of the time. Other times, not so much. I thought he was protecting you, so he said, but he only wanted the Jade Sphere. Nice friends, these Tone fellows. Fortunately, I have other friends as well, Archie said. You're one of them. They reached the gate and boarded their plane. After reading the note, Indy was ready to take up Kingston's quest and fight off the Nazis, again, if that's what it took. As soon as they arrived in Los Angeles, he would send Marcus Brody a telegram and ask him to smooth things over for him in the archaeology department. He needed to needed an immediate sabbatical, another one. As long as he succeeded, he could survive any academic difficulties. If he failed, that was another matter, but in that case, he probably wouldn't be around any longer anyhow. Ready or not, he thought, the quest is on. Thanks for joining The Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at 
Patrician Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical.